0: Hello everybody and welcome back to the Plus Dave podcast, a Tottenham Hotspur themed show brought to you by an assortment of Spurs fans. And a Leeds fan called Dave. Dave, as always, is here to provide our group with just a dash of balance and impartiality. And of course, to troll us mercilessly when we're not quite performing to our best of our abilities. But I'm delighted to say the curse of the Plus Day podcast appears dare I say it, to be over. Spurs have actually won a game, which is fantastic. Dave, welcome back for another week. You must be pretty upset right now. I mean, it was all going so well for you. This was perfect. And suddenly, you're going to have to listen to us all get really excited and happy about Spurs.
1: Yes and no. I mean, I, uh, I'm happy for my friends that you won a game of football. <laughs> that sounded sincere. <laughs> well done, everyone. You. Yeah, really happy for you. I'm also happy because Leeds won. You know, this is one of those rare weekends where both of our teams actually won a game so that's positive
0: but no I think there's there's still loads of question marks over Tottenham so I'm sure we'll get into that in a minute there's a lot of time left of the season as well so uh we're not going to get too far ahead of ourselves but we will of course be going into the game in a lot of detail it's my great pleasure to welcome back a couple of other recurring guests as well first of all Mr Joe Brooker welcome back how are you doing today I'm very well, thank you. Thanks. How you doing? Good. I'm. I'm well. I mean, I'm. I'm. I'm in great spirits. It's funny because everyone's been talking about how we're slowly losing our call cool and getting more and more negative every week. And finally, just in time, we've had this good week. And hopefully, that means we're going to be uh, on an upward trajectory going forward. So yeah, I'm pretty good. Elio, how are you feeling? I trust you're in better spirits than last week. Yeah, somewhat. Somewhat.
2: Um, Not that, that's... that I'm saying much. <laughs> yeah, uh, it wasn't a high bar. I so I don't want to get ahead of myself after one good result off the back of several bad ones. But it was the sort of performance and against a good side that we've always been capable of. And I think if we'd been implementing it earlier, then we'd have also had better results in the previous few matches too. So yeah. Yeah, I think green shoots, green shoots, but we need to see that on a consistent basis now.
0: Well, of course, we are going to be getting into that game in a lot of detail very shortly. I, on that point, actually, I've just got a review here, our latest five star review. So uh, thanks to everyone who's taken the time to review us, but this one's particularly funny. Really enjoying listening to the optimism ebb away. By the end of the season, they'll just be crying for an hour, which, to be honest, in spite of this result, I still think is a distinct possibility. And I think that's definitely a very good point. So thanks for that one. We're going to get into talking about the game in a bit. So uh, Dave, am I right to understand you actually took the time out of your busy schedule to watch Spurs yesterday?
1: I did, yes. Uh, well, I mean, I, I definitely watched it legally. Of course. Let's start by saying that. Disclaimers, everyone. With your binoculars. A definitely legal stream. And mm-hmm. it was... Um, there are loads of those. Yep. And it was, it was an interesting one because I got kind of a few similar... Ways of thinking as to the previous games that I'd uh, watched or that I'd heard, obviously, you guys talk through. So, for example, the first half, you were great. I thought you were really positive going forward. I thought you looked solid at the back. I didn't really see anything going wrong. You took the lead. It was all very, very, very positive. And then it was almost in a similar way, not the same, but in a similar way to the Chelsea game. It was like Nuno says, well done, guys, keep it up. And almost wasn't anticipating or just couldn't deal with the reaction from Villa. And it just changed. And it was the atmosphere in the stadium changed. But the way that you were playing changed. You were very much on the back foot. Villa's equaliser was always going to happen. But then fortunately, as soon as Villa's equaliser went in, your guys just basically went, hang on a minute. We're Spurs and we're better than these guys. So let's score a goal, shall we? And then <laughs> suddenly just you know, restored order within, what was it, th- four minutes or something like that? And About that, yeah. absolutely deserved to win the game. I thought Villa were decent, but the periods where you were on top, which is the majority of the first half and then the second half of the second half, you never really looked in that much danger. It was just that period after half-time where you just didn't look sure of yourselves and it almost felt like everybody in the stadium we're waiting for Villa to score that equaliser and it could have gone really wrong then but it didn't and that's positive
0: but crucially Dave and this hasn't been the case in a lot of our games that you mentioned we conceded and we bounced right back like you say exactly. and that hasn't been the case this is new ground for Spurs this season and we actually looked like we woke up and we actually looked like we were going to do something about it Joe I hope you're uh, taking some detailed notes from Dave's summary of the game because I understand the extent of your research was a quick match of the day perusal
3: yeah, I um, had a bit of a non-football weekend because of other commitments, and uh, wasn't necessarily planning to be on today's show, and I've been called up from the bench, and then woefully <laughs> unprepared, but yeah, I have seen... We talked about the, excuses, come on Joe. I've seen the goals, <laughs> I've seen what's so much of the day, which was not much more than the goals, but everything that I've read and heard so far, and Dave's kind of added to this really, is we're still... Not entirely sure what Nino's trying to do with this Spurs team. And I think the cast of players seems to be becoming a bit more consistent, maybe. But yeah, like Ellie also said, I'm kind of none the wiser as to how good Spurs look, really. I don't feel massively full of confidence, even though we beat who I thought were going to be a very tricky team. Mm. To be honest, I thought Villa were going to beat us this week. So I'm pleasantly surprised we got the three points.
0: Yeah, I think in a way it's potentially raised more questions than it's answered, but it doesn't actually necessarily leave us any clearer, but it certainly created some talking points. Uh, Elio, you have watched the game. You were at the game. What were your thoughts in a nutshell? Oh, like Joe, I wasn't hopeful. I
2: drove my couple of hours journey there, expecting to lose and expecting to have a very miserable couple of hours journey back. So so I was pleasantly surprised. Um, what are my thoughts? I think my thoughts are that the system he went with suited the players immensely more than any other, because I think I alluded to none of our midfielders really having that much about them in terms of an exceptional thing. So what he's done is he's taken two good all-rounders in Hojbjerg and Skip, one a bit quicker, one a bit more mature, put them together, and that looked not a world-class midfield, not a top-quality midfield, Mm. but a solid and dependable midfield which could drive the team in both directions and as a result of that we well The whole game starts and finishes in midfield for me. It always has done. So we ran the show on either side of them for the whole game. So I think that's my main reflection on the match. We got the midfield right and everything else kind of flowed from that. I think certain individuals had by far their best games for us in quite a while as well, which helps. But yeah, I think there's a midfield too there that we should probably stick with. And there's a style that... I've always said we are better than 15 teams in this league, at least in my opinion. So I think if we play that style, we beat 15 teams in the league more than we don't. And Mm. we finish in a good position this season. Maybe not quite the third I predicted initially. (laughs) We'll see. Might need a bit of luck for that, but definitely higher than I thought we would last week. It all depends if Nuno decides to rip it up when we've got an away game next week and Man United coming up soon as well, or if he decides to have faith in something that's worked and built on it.
0: Yeah, I'm sure we'll have a chance to revise our predictions as the season goes on, but let's stand true for the time being. I want to ask you about that midfield, actually, and, and Dave, Joe, feel free to chime in as well, but Skip and Heuberg, potentially a pairing that we criticised earlier on the season on the basis that it was too much of the same, perhaps too negative, too defensive, given a slight shift in formation and a slightly more attacking outlook, would you say Hoyberg looks better with Skipper? Alongside him, Because if you look at the Euros, for example, when Denmark had Delaney next to Hoiberg, it allowed Hoiberg to get a bit further forward, which he certainly did in this game. Do you think that Hoiberg is a better player with skip alongside him?
2: On the basis of this, absolutely. I think the two of them together, they complement each other quite nicely if what you're going for is a solid pairing as opposed to an expansive pairing. We don't really have unless La suddenly develops into that central midfielder. But I think we're all beginning to think of him as a number 10 now. And we know Ndombele in a midfield two would be a disaster because we saw it last season. But I think... If you're going for the solid pairing and you let the attackers have free reign to go forward, they do complement each other well. Skip's got more pace. He's a mobile, energetic player. And that's probably where Hoybier lacks a bit. is comfortable on the ball. He's a decent passer with quite a decent range. He's obviously an aggressive tackler and quite a fighter as well. But he doesn't have much of a turning circle and he's not the mm. quickest either. So having Skip next to him enables him to actually go for those committed tackles, go for that high press that he likes to do, knowing that there's someone young and mobile and has legs on him behind him to mop up if it all goes wrong. And it's almost like a centre-back pairing in midfields where you have the sort of
0: cover-stopper
2: the aggressor and the sitter, they're kind of playing like that as well. And even though I criticised it earlier on in the season, earlier on in the season we were doing it with skip as a single pivot and Hoybia playing as some kind of Metzala trying to charge up the right wing and defend at the same time. We're
0: we're all about the football manager analogies this week. So,
2: yeah, exactly. So um, I think as a two it worked because they had very defined roles. And it allowed the guys in front of them to have more free reign. How well the guys in front of them did, we'll pick apart as it goes on. And part of one of those players who I always like to talk about will tie into what Dave said about the beginning of our second half. But I'll, I'll wait for you to give me a cue for that.
0: I think I know exactly who you're talking about, but on that point, obviously the the midfield pairing depends heavily on who is in front of them, so to speak, who is in that number 10 role officially or unofficially. And I think the interesting thing about the game from my perspective, having watched it is that if you picked a random, any five, 10 minute spell and asked somebody to say who's playing in the hole, who's playing number 10, it was almost a different person every time. It was very fluid. Sometimes you had Son cutting in, sometimes you had Mora cutting in, sometimes it was even Ndombele or Hojberg pushing forward or Kane dropping back as he does. Do you think... Anyone that that's kind of by design? Is that something that has just been put in place to maybe make us more difficult to defend against and harder to mark?
2: I think Son stuck to the left a fair bit. I think Lucas and and Dombele were the ones that probably shared that the most. And especially Lucas, when the ball went into his feet in the middle of the pitch, he was how we were breaking Villa's press. Villa were pressing aggressively. You saw from our goal kicks, they were trying to push right up against us and nearly caught us out once or twice as well. Lucas, the second he got the ball, he could shift his weight so quickly. had such quick feet and such a good first touch. Listen, he lost the ball a lot when he got it further up. He got fouled. He made a few errant passes, but he was getting the ball from the middle of the pitch into the final third because most central midfielders are not quick enough or nimble enough to stop someone like Lucas Moura charging down the middle. So I thought he did really well. I thought and Ndombele put in the most effort he has in a while, but... And that's uh, where I was going with my comments about sort of that first 10 minutes of the second half that Dave alluded to. And Dombele, whether he was gassing or whether he picked up a knock or got kicked, he disappeared apart from one nice little jink into the box. He disappeared at the beginning of the second half. And that's a big part of why Villa got back into it.
0: He gave the ball away a fair few times in that second half, I think. But the exciting thing is that I actually really enjoyed watching Spurs. I think we were actually, I enjoyed the match, which is something I've not been able to say in a while. And there were so many players that I actually think had a good game. It's hard to actually pick out individually star performers because a lot of players really stepped up. And Dave, I want to ask you, now that you've watched the whole game, who do you think was the star man? Who stood out for you? Who was the best player or players? Without
1: a shadow of a doubt, Son. Yeah. I thought his his movement was excellent. I think he did probably stray further on the left than any of the other forwards, but I do agree with what you were saying there, Dags, in the sense that there was a lot of there was a lot of movement within that front five. I'm looking at average positions and Son was the furthest man forward on average. And I think that was because he was an out ball, and he was getting the ball and he was moving with the ball and he was feeding the play up, which is what you want people to do when they're out on that kind of left or on that right hand side and you want them to be that available ball. It's very similar to what we saw at Ellen Road as well the day before because You've got Son, we've got Rafinha and it's essentially the same thing on the other side of the pitch where he is always the guy that seems to find the space and seems to be available to make things happen and and he did it for you guys on Sunday, Rafinha did for us on Saturday so yeah I would say definitely.
2: I think there's been a bit of an evolution in Son there as well because he's always been this sort of inside forward, he's always kind of got the ball cut in hit shots from range, played one-twos and got himself into the box, run onto a ball over the top or down the middle to sort of break through and goal, which is what he did for the one really great chance he did have as well. But this performance, it was almost Ryan Giggs-like, the way he was sort of hugging the touchline a lot. When the ball came to him, he'd shimmy to go one way and then just take it the other way as well. We don't usually see Son dribble that much. Son's a guy that likes running into space. You don't see that much of him really taking on a guy to beat him when there's not much space but that's how he actually made our second goal in the end by feinting to go one way going the other way putting that beautiful cross along the box and I said at the time to the guy next to me at Spurs not my dad the other side of me (laughs) that that reminded me of a prime Ryan Giggs essentially and I don't know if it's something he's been working harder on doing but it gives another element to his game which in turn gives another element to our game
1: I'd love it if your dad is now officially referred to as that guy that's next to me at Spurs
0: (laughs) Yeah, what did he say to earn that title? But no, not just one, but two lovely assists, really, in terms of the whole build-up of each goal. Joe, what did you make of the two goals?
3: Yeah, loved uh, Loved Hoyberg's uh, strike. I thought that was quite a controlled, nicely sort of passed into the inside of the a hell post. Of a shot. finish
0: for a DM, right? Not the kind of finish you'd expect from his position. Uh, exactly,
3: exactly. Um, so really composed, really nice, uh, and I it can tell that it meant a lot to him as well by the the way to the way to celebrate. And then, um, yeah, forcing, um, forcing the own goal. I mean, yeah, just from what you guys have described, it, it felt like there was that roaring back after the equaliser, and certainly from what I've seen in the highlights as well, which I can't really think of that from Spurs this season, this sort of responding well to, you know, being in a bad situation. So, yeah, very positive. I've got a question for Elio, actually. When you described Lucas's performance this week,
2: does he need to be a starter now? I think right now he has to be because... I don't think, especially with Bergwijn injured, I don't actually think we have anybody else who can do what he does, which is carrying the ball forward and breaking through the press. And in a team that isn't particularly proficient when it comes to well, our movement on the ball, our sort of one-touch football and our one-touch passing, players who can carry the ball are absolutely vital because otherwise you're just playing in front of the opposition defence the entire time and making their lives easy for them. So the fact that he can actually get the ball, even if he loses it nine times out of ten, the tenth time it creates danger he he gets on the ball time and time again and one thing you'll notice is that our midfield and our defense skip actually who isn't that confident with his forward passing but he passed the ball forward into space quite a few times and you'd see lucas darting in from nowhere either from the right or from the number 10 kind of area to nip in ahead of john mcginn or their young midfielder i forget his name and get right in ahead of them nick the ball turn and start carrying it forward then he'd get bundled or fouls or something like that or then he'd try and play someone in and that was really really impressive so while his end product was somewhat erratic he he was actually a really key performer for us yesterday because his ability to keep doing that for us kept the ball in Aston Villa's third of the pitch it kept the pressure on their defense and it kept them on the back foot and well it's the best we've defended all season and a big part of having a good defense is not having to defend and Hmm. Lucas was a key reason for that.
0: I would actually say, not necessarily that he's been our best player, but I think of all the players who have played a significant number of minutes this season for us, he's the one who's been most consistently good. I don't yep. think he's really had a bad game.
2: Apart from Son, yeah.
0: Maybe maybe Son as well. Maybe that's not fair. Maybe on Son. But he's certainly up there. I think on that basis alone, he has to be in the team.
1: Yeah, I think that's key. I think the, the key is reliability in that sense. You know, mm. you're not going to... You, know, you almost... If you've got Son and you've got, you know, a player with the ability to give you 9 out of 10... On a regular basis, you don't necessarily need another one of those. What you do need is someone who isn't going to give you any lower than a seven. And I think at the moment, that's what Lucas appears to be doing for you guys.
0: One man who certainly has given us lower than a seven a couple of times this season, who I really want to talk about, is Harry Kane, who looked like a different man today. It was almost the anti-Kane of so far this season. What do we make of his performance yesterday, I should say?
2: (laughs) Much better. All right, his shooting boots weren't quite there, but he, he gave us the kind of performance that used to buy him time through his barren spells and that he hasn't given us in a while. All right, last season he never stopped scoring, so he didn't really need to. But this was not vintage, but it was turning the clock back a little bit. He was harrying the defenders. He was doing exactly what I criticised him for not doing last week and keeping himself mm. high up the pitch as much as possible. All right, I wish he'd stretched his hamstrings just a little bit to get on the end of the Emerson ball, but... Generally, I thought it was a really nice performance. His passing was a lot crisper as well. That back heel for La Salsa was a thing of beauty. and That was beautiful. And yeah. I think a fully fit, fully confident Harry Kane scores the chance that he did have where he was put through. I don't think he, he hits that straight into the keeper. I think he makes the decision earlier, controls it earlier and chips the goalie, basically. So once again, same as the rest yeah. of it, green shoots. But it made a hell of a difference because suddenly we had a focal point and we weren't playing with 10 men.
0: Let's not forget, of course, that Kane did get a hat-trick in Europe against potentially slightly weaker opposition, it must be said. But he's he's remembered how to score. So you'd like to think if he carries on doing this, it will come. And just on Kane, again, a couple of stats from yesterday, which were interesting. He attempted eight shots which is actually the most of any player in the division this weekend, which is lovely to see because it's the exact opposite of what we've experienced of him so far. And he's actually got the highest XG as a result of that, of any forward or any player in the league this week. And it's actually the most goal involvements in the box he's had since March 2018 against Huddersfield. So, I mean, that says a lot. I mean, it sounds like someone's had a word with him or something's clicked. It's
1: going to be a great day for you guys when he actually
0: scores a goal and you can stop reeling off these and <laughs> stats. <laughs> Suddenly we forget about XG. It doesn't matter anymore. I mean, it's
2: yeah. uh, it's going to be Sod's law that he goes away with England and gets injured now that he's found some form.
0: Let's agree not to talk about the international break. Well, again. Okay? you we're have we're just pretend- said that. Yeah. <laughs> We've talked about the whole front three now. I want to talk about our defence because earlier you said that it was the best we defended all season so far and I'm inclined to agree. Dave, you were quite critical of our defence, particularly against Palace, but just in general and with good reason. What did you make of our defence this week?
1: Uh, I thought the first half, you guys looked really solid. I mean, I didn't really see a weak link in the defence. I mean, it's probably a positive compliment when I can say that I didn't really write many notes down about the defense. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, it, was, it bad was just defending. It was just there, and it was and it was working, and it was doing what it was supposed to be doing. And I think what could be argued as a a Southgate-esque formula with those two more <laughs> defensively minded midfielders probably makes life a little bit easier for the defense i'm still not convinced about dyer but i think romero looks like a looks like a shrewd acquisition and i also think on the right hand side another solid display
0: from emerson three players there and i want to talk about all of them to be honest with you one player i'm really glad you mentioned who i do want to talk about is romero and feel free to laugh at me for this dave but i have in my notes virgil van dyke like that's what i've written down for romero maybe i'm getting ahead of myself but i was particularly impressed with him i think he did absolutely everything you want from a centre defender really well he made interceptions he made tackles he made blocks he made some brilliant long passes as well and he seems to be that quintessential stopper type exactly how Elio describes him when we first signed him and I'm I'm interested to hear your thoughts on his performance and also who partners him Elio what are your thoughts first of all how did you rate Romero's performance?
2: Romero played exceptionally well Um, he it's no easy task going up against Ings and Watkins either I mean they're, yeah. they're two of the best strikers in the league and they've somehow both landed at Villa. But no, I thought he, he did really well. What I really like about him is that he sniffs out danger. And it almost it almost takes away the need for a pure DM type anyway. I'm glad we played them, but he's proactive and he gets on the front foot. And I, I don't think you can defend in the Premier League without one of those And yeah, really good front foot defending all game long. Like you said, lots of interceptions, won his headers as well, which you always like to see Mm -hmm. someone who's new to this league because especially coming from Serie A, it's always a worry. Listen, the goal we conceded was probably down to him in large as well because he overcommitted. He made that foul and all of a sudden, Emerson had a two-on-one against him. Dial was having to track a runner that wasn't his runner as a result as well. So that happened there. But I can almost forgive that in the same way that you forgive a creative player a number 10 for losing the ball high up the pitch because he tries something risky because nine times out of 10 Romero does that and it stops the attack from even happening so so yeah. I don't mind that it went wrong and as he adapts to the league that will happen less and less so no really really pleased with him and he, he looks every bit the the signing we were hoping he was going to be already in my opinion
0: and you know it's interesting you mentioned that because you said that you want that player to take that chance and step forward and be on the front foot. Uh, I actually think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think both of our goals actually came from Romero pushing out and making interceptions. Uh, both moves actually started from that, which is two for one. I mean, it, it pays off. You could say he was at fault for the first goal, but it it, it, it actually does level out. I didn't realise um, that. I, ask, I mean, this won't please yes.
2: all the people still pining for Pochettino, but that's exactly why under Pochettino we used to attack at so much ease because we were winning the ball so much higher up that the attackers had a lot less work to do as a result and what you've just described there I I, I didn't actually twig that I know they were both good moves but to mm. my mind uh, I, I kind of remember the final three passes not the first interception so yeah great to hear
0: yeah with the goal that they scored obviously it was it did come against a run of play and there were probably arguably a few players involved you partially blame Romero for that but I'm curious joe and dave who you would actually put at fault for that because in my opinion watching it and i'm open to suggestion i thought dyer lost his man a little bit i thought dyer kind of lost sight of watkins a little bit when he was running back but maybe he was under unnecessary pressure Did did you have any opinion on that i
1: mean i'm not convinced that it was against a runner play to start <laughs> with i think everybody dropped off 10 percent at the start of that second mm-hmm. half i just think it was the entire team you could argue that there was an element of romero being beaten of Dyer losing his man, but ultimately I think it was just a, it was a culmination of the team, just almost not switching off that terrible cliche, but just appeared to be a drop in, I don't want to say effort. I hate saying that people aren't trying because it's professional football man. and they're obviously trying, but maybe a bit of concentration, maybe just a bit of nerves, you know, they're ahead. Aston Villa will come out and they've given it a good go and maybe they just got a little bit nervous and they thought, here we go again. But, you know, As we've said earlier, you know, testament for the fact that, you know, that did happen and you did concede, but you didn't roll over and you fought back immediately, which is really important. Probably the most important thing about this game.
0: Absolutely. Another player you mentioned earlier, Dave, and I feel like I need to talk about every single one of our players today. I don't know when the next chance we'll get to do this is, but everyone seemed to be quite, quite good. Emerson, who again we mentioned him before, has come into some criticism. I think to me he looked like it started to click a little bit. I think he seems to be adapting quite well to the league. I thought he had a good performance. Uh, Elio, what did you make of Emerson?
2: I think he played exactly the way that I expected him to when we first Mm signed him and I I described sort of what I'd managed to garner from him just from sort of reading reports and watching videos. He was aggressive, he was really really solid like I said it was 2v1 on the goal so I don't blame him for that in the slightest letting that cross in didn't let another cross in all day as far as I could tell he's another one that's quite a proactive defender so I imagine will occasionally have to deal with the discipline sides but he doesn't take any prisoners with his tackles and I I like a bit of no nonsense we've got too many fullbacks Mm. in the world these days that want to be sort of forwards they want to be wingers I like the fact that he has a bit of old-fashioned defending about him but that doesn't actually take away from his attacking game okay he doesn't really have the elegance of a Trent or, or anything like that but he got forward well he put in a couple of really nice balls into the box at different occasions one for Kane one for Son on the volley hit that beautiful rasping shot at their goalie as well off the volley which he just sort of half volley I think as well which is incredibly difficult and he clearly has got enough technique to do the job but defensively is where it starts with fullbacks and he looked solid he looked dependable and he looked really really suited to this league and a week ago loads of sort of Spurs fans were screaming why did we sign this guy instead of Tom Ayusu? but Tom Ayusu had a shocker against Brighton while this guy had a really great game for us so maybe football fans should just have a bit of patience and think three games into their careers let's not judge these guys who have come over from other leagues I, I like him.
0: Absolutely. I agree with all of that. And I like the fact that he gets stuck in. And I think he might get the odd yellow here and there. But let's be honest, he's not Serge Aurier. So we can count on blessings there. <laughs> Who,
2: incidentally, signed for Villarreal on a free transfer
0: he did. today. He did. And we wish him the best there. Champions League Villarreal. Indeed. I want to talk about just our attacking play again and chances created. I mean, our XG, I know we love XG, was was higher than it has been in pretty much any game. But it won't be a surprise. I think it pretty much suggested that we deserve to score two or three. But we missed some chances, didn't we? A couple of big chances that we missed, which suggests that, you know, in another week, we could be getting three or four. Joe, given that these were probably shown on Match today, the day, um, how did you, what were your thoughts on us going forward in general? Yeah,
3: I mean, um it certainly felt from the, you know, the limitation I get from just seeing highlights that Spurs were pouring forward a lot more than we've seen in, in the recent weeks. I mean, Son seemed to be far more involved this time. It just feels like Kane's getting involved a bit more, and, and I don't know if that's a direct result of Son's performances being better and mm. getting more involved, But it, and I don't know how much that hat-trick has made a difference to Kane's confidence. I mean, I thought being in the, the conference league this season was going to be just a waste of time and, and a drain on resources and energy, but I'm now beginning to wonder with some of the difficulties we've had over the last few weeks, is that going to be a really helpful way to reset and get players game time and and when things aren't going well go and smash a small European club and get some confidence
0: back in the players so they they seem so different from the Arsenal and Chelsea games and it is a chance for us to experiment with different formations and different players as well on that point I mentioned earlier it does raise a few questions I don't think I'm any the wiser in terms of what our strongest eleven necessarily is and of course it will depend on opponents but Dave I'm going to put it to you because you've watched so much Spurs this year that you're basically a Spurs fan at this point If you were Nuno going into the Newcastle game in a couple of weeks' time, what lineup do you think you would play? And what formation? You don't have to go through every single player. I mean, some of them pick themselves. I think
1: Nuno is still unsure of what his best 11 is, but I think it's becoming a bit more clear. I mean,. I'm old school in the sense that if it isn't broken, you shouldn't fix it. So I would be tempted to play the same formation and the same players.
0: Is Dyer the right partner?
1: Yeah, I think Dyer's the starter at the moment. I I don't think he's made big enough mistakes to not be the starter, quite frankly. And that's what happens. It's either injury or mistakes that gets you replaced, especially when you're in defensive positions. And I think he's been consistent enough to keep the shirt. I think the only question marks you've got are probably around the attacking players. But like we've said, you know... Mora is dependable and I think he's turning into a dependable player for Nuno and that makes him not undroppable but certainly one of the first names on the team sheet. Son, as long as he stays fit, he's as close to undroppable as you're getting right now. Kane, there's no one to replace him mm-hmm. on the bench, so he's going to start. And then, and Dombalay is the sixty-four thousand, sorry, sixty-four million pound question. He's
0: been sixty-four thousand player for most of the season, but
1: sixty-four thousand yeah. dollar player. Yeah. But you know, as it stands, he appears to be the option. But I mean, I would say out of all of the players on that starting eleven currently, he's the one whose place is at risk the most.
0: Elio I'm curious to get your thoughts on the defensive partnership specifically because taking it back to your comment earlier about the whole stopper cover dynamic and having that balance in midfield and obviously on football manager terminology looking at that in defence if we say that Romero is your classic stopper type do we need somebody who is quick who can run in behind him to play alongside him and complement him because I think you mentioned before Dyer is probably in that mould himself to an extent do you think that's a partnership that can work and if not what would you like to see?
2: I think it's the best partnership we have at the moment. It's a funny one. I don't necessarily think Dyer is a better defender than Sanchez, but I think Dyer is better suited to, A, playing on the left of the defence. He seems to be a little bit more comfortable Mm. than any of the others. But B, he seems a little bit happier, even though he's not that quick, a little bit happier to kind of mop up when Romero does bomb forward, he won quite a few headers again the other day. Dyer. he made a lot of interceptions as well, I think more than anyone else on our team from what I read earlier. So I do think is the best suited to that. I mean, long term, I don't think either he or Sanchez are quite what we want to be starting with. I think it would be lovely if Joe Rodon, who, for all intents and purposes, Mm. hasn't really made a mistake when he's played, but never seems to get a chance in the main team other than at the end of Mourinho's tenure. I think it would be nice to see him potentially form a partnership with Romero. They looked good together when they played together in Europe, but right now Dyer is the man and I think Dave's absolutely right don't touch that defence I think the midfield two has to pick itself now as well I think Dave said it perfectly really the only player whose place probably is under threat is Ndombele.
0: Yeah Joe what are your thoughts on Ndombele from everything you've seen do you think he keeps his place for the next game would you put Los in would you bring Deli Ali back in what are your thoughts on that that kind of up for grabs position?
3: I wouldn't bring Delhi Ali back in. Um, I, I really wanted to give him I really wanted to give him a kind of fresh go this season. And I really like the way he's spoken during the summer and towards the end of the last season. I thought, yeah, I think yeah. He, he's reinvented himself a little bit and it's gonna be a bit more box to box, less trying to be a number ten or, you know, in the front three type of player. And it hasn't worked out at all. Something's still just not right there. And I find it really interesting listening today to this idea of a double pivot with skip and Heubier because it feels like we've always been trying to work out who the, the midfield three are going to be. And our midfield's been terrible, like, throughout the season so far. Maybe that's the problem, is we're trying to figure out who's the three in midfield. Maybe it's it's a double pivot. It's a two. And you, yeah, it's a two. That was the answer. And you're now thinking, right, who are the four playing in front of them? And Ndombele and seems to blow hot and cold, but I wonder if that matters less if we've got a double pivot we're finally happy with and and just as importantly the two centre-backs behind them we're happy with as a partnership that probably covers up the front four quite nicely.
0: Elio, I want to come to you because you had some shall we say slightly strong words to say about young Tongi on Dombele last week. What do you make of him and have you revised your assessment of his role in our squad at the moment?
2: God no. Uh, I (laughs) I don't really know what his role in our squad is to tell you the truth because if you're going to play him as a central midfielder you could only really do it as part of a three due to his lack of a shift but you certainly couldn't do it as a two but he he really just doesn't have the legs or the effort to to play in a midfield central position and we're not talking about a 20 year old with his whole career ahead of him now we're talking about a 25 year old he he should be running midfields at his age not sort of ambling Mm. about the problem is and I alluded to this last week he is a central midfielder. That was always his skill set. That's what we bought. That's what he made his name doing. He's he's not that number ten that we can indulge because of his skill levels. And the reason for that is he hasn't got the output for it. Now, if Andombele suddenly clicks and starts sort of making goals a plenty and scoring goals too, which he has the ability to do, then we've got an amazing number ten. But there's absolutely no previous to suggest that he will do that or can do that because right now we're trying to play a central midfielder who doesn't seem to have the legs for central midfield at number 10. And I mean, there's always been a thing in this country when you do have a a flair central midfielder, to put them into the final third instead because you're worried they're not robust enough for the middle. We did it with Modric for about 18 months before Redknapp actually moved him back in the middle, mainly due to injuries to other players because I think Ginas and Palacios were injured at the same time so he got moved back and paired with Huddleston and the rest is history. Modric never played at number 10 again in his whole career but he worked his butt off. He fought for absolutely everything just because he wasn't raging around putting in tackles doesn't mean he didn't work hard and and Dombele just doesn't so I'm worried about him because even though he put more effort in the other day and, all right, his touch was off and we know he'll have better touch more often than not and his passing was off and we know he'll have better passing more often than not. But right now, there's no evidence to suggest he can play at number 10 and he's proving to us that he can't play in central midfield. So, yeah. so it's not the £64 million man so much. It is the £64 million question. Mm. It's a riddle and I worry that... Everyone else has twigged that he's a player that you don't really know what the point of him is. And we're going to have a guy there for a while now that is going to take a lot of money out of the club without ever really having an impact. And I really hope I'm wrong because I pay to watch guys with his skill. That mm. is what you go to the ground to see. That one moment and it, it,
0: where he turned... That one moment was magical. But finish.
2: It, it almost hurts me to talk about any flair player in these terms because... I was brought up on flair. That's um, what I was taught. I was, uh, it's the old phrase about Hoddle when someone asked him, Is Hoddle too much of a luxury player? And the answer was, No, Hoddle's not a luxury player. It's the bad players that are luxuries. Yeah. Well, and Dombele, he's the good player that is a luxury, and it's bloody frustrating.
0: From the 64 million man to someone who costs us a lot less, Deli Ali. We've obviously talked about him before. It probably won't be the last time we talk about him. I feel like there is a degree of nostalgia with Delhi. I think we all want him to come good because we remember the good times, but where does he sit in your estimation at the moment? Is his time done? Do you think he has anything to offer us or is he a player off the bench? What's the future for Delhi?
2: I want to believe in Delhi, but for very different reasons to Tongi, he's actually become another player that you just don't quite know what he is. It's worrying when you have two players (laughs) vying for the same position in the team who you can both describe as, what's the point? Um... Delhi joined us as a central midfielder as a teenager. He only ever played as an 8 at MK Dons, but he very quickly became this really good, really sort of ghost running, really kind of impactful front third player. And he never had great ball retention. He never had much of an impact on overall play, but he always got those goals from the 10 position. But that doesn't happen anymore either and he's not really done anything for such a long time now that you have to begin to think he just won't again. I I think it might all stem back to that big bad hamstring injury he got a few years ago when, when he was in his pump. He just had that amazing game against Chelsea. Then I think it was the next game after that. It might have even been that game actually where they just went and ever since there's just been something missing and I like the guy, and he's given me some of my very, very best Spurs memories in the last half a decade. But yeah. like Tongi, I, I just don't know what he can do, and I don't know how we can fit him into our side, and that's a concern.
0: Dave, would you take Deli Alli at Leeds?
2: I would not take Deli Alli at Leeds. <laughs> Care to elaborate? Would you take Tongi and Dombale at Leeds? Um, I think... One Bielsa I, session. I
1: think there's, there's a... Well, obviously, there is a... There's a type of player that thrives at Leeds, and I don't think either Ali or Ndombele is that player. Ali runs, at least. <laughs> yeah, true. I just don't think there's a place for him in, in, in the Leeds team. I mean, ultimately, we uh, I guess if we are missing someone, we are missing a potentially number 10, but definitely a number 8. And I think that's kind of more of a Hoibier person than an, an Ali person. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced by either of them, to be honest.
2: Enough. it's funny back in the 90s when everyone played 4-4-2 and the central midfield pairings tended to be one very defensive guy and one very attacking guy on the whole and Ndombele would have fit in perfectly like mm. back then teams just didn't run as much or work as hard as they do now it's it's factual and you can measure it in the distance run by players every game so Tongi Ndombele in the 90s he would have been our Matt Letizia basically and we'd have probably all adored him but You can't have players like that in 2021 in this Premier League. It just can't happen. Like I said last week, if you play central midfield, you have to run constantly. If you play any position, you have to run constantly these days, but especially central midfield, no matter how talented you are. And if you play number 10, you have to have that output. And Delhi, once upon a time did. He doesn't anymore. And Dombele has the ability to, but he's never actually done it. So do we keep persisting with him there in hope that he does or... Do we try something a bit different? Listen, my go-to guy at the moment, and I was amazed he didn't start the other day. Fair enough, we won and we played well, so can't criticise too much. But LaCelso is the person that I think is most likely. And even then, he's a number eight. But I think he's got more of a body type and a nimbleness about him to be able to play in the 10. And he's also got more of a brain on him to actually play that role so so i think he is the only potential answer we have in there otherwise i think we need to go shopping
0: i'm now imagining tong gindombele in the 90s in a 442 playing alongside roy Keane and just jogging around <laughs> and imagining how Keane would react to that
1: i'm imagining Elliot being rick flair's son a child of flair
0: <laughs> <laughs> you took us right back there i was wondering where that was going <laughs> i am a wait there. so long to say have, it have we got the episode title there i think we might do. <laughs> Joe, who have we not talked about so far? I feel like we've covered nearly everyone on the pitch. Is there anyone who we're being harsh on leaving out? There's a left back who had his. There back is. There is, is, back. Joe, is a left back. Joe, what do you think point. of Regulon? Do,
3: do you know what? I, I hadn't even thought about Regulon during all of this, and he's somebody we've talked about.
0: What did Jermaine Genus and Alan Shearer think of Regulon? <laughs> <laughs> oh,
3: I, didn't, I didn't listen to their analysis, sadly. I would have, I would have been fascinated to get their insights. But uh, that's an interesting, because we've talked about Regalon so much this season. And I think one game, you, I think he was one of our best players uh, earlier on. And then we've been really frustrated with him uh, in the last couple of performances. So actually, and it's difficult from the highlights to necessarily tell how well our left back played. So, I mean, Dave, I don't know if you can give your opinion. I'll be curious to see what a non-Spurs fan thinks. Yeah,
0: Classic deflection there.
1: I, I don't have an opinion.
0: Moving on, it wasn't it was <laughs> noteworthy. Well, well, done, Reguilon. You, you got onto our podcast one way or another. I think he was, he was solid. I don't think he did anything wrong. Well, that, that's back to your point, isn't it? With defenders in particular, if you don't notice them, it can be a good thing. Well, look, I think it's safe to say we're not going to get too carried away by one promising performance, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. And we've got a couple of weeks now to uh, gather our thoughts and see where that takes us. Before we move on, any closing thoughts on the game or where that leaves us?
2: Like I said, green shoots is the right direction. We've shown that we can play football, dominate the ball, have the bulk of possession, have the bulk of the chances. I don't know what the XG was. You know, I don't like it, but I imagine it was better than Villas. So we've shown we can do that against a good side. This should be the standards now, not just a dawn, And that will probably be the difference to whether Nuno lasts or not.
0: He probably saved his job today. Exaggeration to say? It?
2: No. no. I think if we lost yesterday or were drawn with a really bad performance, I think right before an international break, only a two-year contract, so low compensation, I think that was him out. So, yeah, I think he did save his job. I think it's vitally important that you win before the international break.
1: Always
0: although it didn't really do us any favours last time. The international break absolutely tanked. Yeah, our but how good were you feeling? And Luna wasn't getting sacked <laughs> oh, we last time, was he? We, we? we felt so good we started a podcast. I mean, you know, let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's hope we have a slightly better time of things. Let's hope no one gets deported, arrested, crippled. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll do our best. Thanks, guys, for that analysis. Really good to hear your thoughts on all of that. If you have any thoughts, if you have any comments, anything that we missed out, anything that you'd like to add to our discussion about the Villa game, please get in touch with us. Our social media accounts are at Plus Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram, uh, one of which is currently down at the moment. So hopefully by the time this goes up, it'll be up and running again. And of course, you can email us at plusdavepodcast at gmail.com. While I'm on the social media accounts and all of that stuff, why not join our FPL league as well and get involved with that? The code for that is JB3PSV. That's JB3PSV. I might add on that point, actually, that I had a look at our official listeners plus Dave FPL league, and Joe, you're not actually in it. I've been going on about how you're top, but you've not actually taken the time to join, so I'm technically still top. Are you just trying to make me feel better?
3: Yeah, there's been some confusion here. So I'm in another FPL league, and it's not you're, our you're one. in
0: our private one, but you're not in the official plus day
3: podcast league. Yeah, no, I'm in one. I didn't. I only realised this. I today. didn't know there was one. <laughs> I, I'm in. I'm in a league with a bunch of people I, I don't know. It seems to be some sort of Middle Eastern Spurs league. So I don't. I don't even know how. And you thought was honest? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, who I don't,
1: knows? Who knows? I'd, I'd argue know. that's better. <laughs> you, know, you know what? I think you should let us know every week of how you're getting on in the random Spurs Middle Eastern league.
0: I don't know if you're interested, but I'm third in that one. So near the nice. top. I'm not interested, but thanks anyway. Uh, moving <laughs> on. So, uh, to, our, to our feature discussion this week, and uh, given that we are heading into an international break and we'd like to distract ourselves from that, we decided to come up with a bit of a discussion with an international theme this week. Elio actually had the idea of talking about which nations as a whole have had the most profound impact on Spurs as a club. We want to talk about all the players and managers that we've had over the years from different countries and try and decide which country has had the biggest impact on Tottenham Hotspur and why. And Dave is going to try and be the judge and decide on the basis of everybody's arguments which he thinks has had the biggest effect on Spurs. So uh, a couple of the stand out, of course. There are definitely some nations that come to mind very quickly. But Elio, Joe, you're each going to take one that you've decided to champion the case for and talk about. Who wants to go first? Go for it, Joe. Which nation are you going to talk about, Joe? And we'll all chime in as well, you know. Not, we're not going to leave you hanging too much. You very kindly let me do Argentina, which uh,
3: gave me a fighting chance against Elio. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, Argentina, obviously, you know, we've got two Argentinians in the squad at the moment, Lo and Romero. And, you know, of course, you have to go back to the start with another pair of Argentinians, which is Eric Lamella and Juan Foyt, obviously. <laughs> that famous of course, pet. yeah. No, obviously, yeah. to, uh, referring to uh, World Cup winners, uh, Ozardiles and Ricky Villa. Mm. And, I mean, Dax, we were talking about this before we, we got recording, but, uh, you know, you think of this, there's almost this big bang where Spurs started to develop this relationship with a, a foreign country where, you know, foreigners could actually come in and make the club better. Mm. And, it was kind of um, unheard of, wasn't it, up until that point? <laughs> you know, it was, it's still very early days and, you know, I think the impact is, is pretty profound because you think we obviously had... World Cup winners first of all playing for the team you know, in, in, in a period that you know, perhaps we, we weren't quite the team that we once were going into, into the 80s. And we're back sort of winning FA Cups. There's also, I mean, I won't go into this in too much detail, but of course you had the Falklands as well, which adds this whole layer of complexity to the relationship to Argentina as well. And, and you think how, how much Spurs fans just love and care about these two players and, and respect the country they came from during what's obviously a difficult time with with the Falklands conflict and everything and then that spine continues through because I mean obviously Poch being Argentinian you think what he's done for this club taking us on another level in the 2010s and I like how in the last couple of weeks we talked about how things started to change in the noughties and when like Sox started to support Spurs and the Martignol era we started to actually challenge for the the top four and as we came into the 2010s, out, you know, through Harry Redknapp, became a regular Champions League team. And then Poch has actually taken Spurs to a, a European Cup final. Well, okay, a Champions League final, to be specific. We obviously have a Cup, Winners' Cup, and UEFA Cup. But that's incredible mm. to think Spurs got, got that far with some of the super clubs you get these days. And of course, we just have a lot of Argentinian players to, to speak of, you know, maybe not quite the same names, but mm. you've got your Lamellas, Voits, Gazzanigas fantasy Um, you know, yeah. we, we we are not afraid to... to they're, they're not all Maradona,
1: are they? You started but, so strongly. I know. <laughs> I know, I know. you I, I names You're making but, I mean, the case
3: it, for and against. It's not bad for one nation, you know, in in, a, yeah. in an English league. So I, I think that's a tough one to beat, but I won't count my chickens when Elio's going to give an well,
0: opinion. Well, look, look, it, it's not a competition. It's, it's just a friendly debate. It's just a friendly <laughs> debate. And, and the Pochettino thing is interesting because, I mean, I, I don't know if anyone has any quotes to support this, but it's hard to imagine that there wasn't at least part of his thinking in Georgia us that was like you know Spurs have this affinity with Argentina going back to the days of Adidas and Villa and there always has been this kind of romanticism with Spurs and Argentina that obviously persists to this day but no very good points and obviously Villa scored that amazing goal in the FA Cup final that Aussie Adidas and Villa partnership were involved in two FA Cups and and Pochettino's I don't think anyone would disagree in the modern era certainly our, our best manager right? Oh for sure. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. And he elevated us to to another level. Elio, you were going to talk about another nation that you think has had pretty profound influence.
2: Oh, it's difficult to argue that Argentina have had the biggest positive influence. So before I go into France, I might try and ebb away a bit at Argentina. And like Dave alluded to, just that, yeah, this is a very... Very political tactics here, and just uh, remind everybody about Foyt and Fazio and uh, <laughs> their their combined impacts at different times on our defense. Also, Lamella, the record signing mm-hmm. and Gareth Bale replacement who scored, I think, fewer than 20 league goals in seven years hey, for us. Careful what you say about oh. Eric Lamella. Right? It, uh.
0: He might Stop be listening. It, uh. You don't want to upset Eric there's, Lamella.
2: There's an, and for all the greatness of Oziar Ardiles as a player and all the greatness of Pochettino as a manager, Aussie Ardiles uh, was manager. sadly not a very good manager for us. So bad, in fact, that we improved by hiring Jerry Francis himself not a very good manager. So um, I, I have to get that in there because, mm. to tell you the truth, I think Joe wins this one anyway. But I'll do my best. So France... Let's not talk about the French manager we had. He didn't last very long. He he somehow seemed to think that he could have us buy him a house by the sea when he was managing a club in North London. That was part of the reasons for his resignation. He did about so... as much
0: research as Joe this week. Yeah, Southend's <laughs> not that far.
2: But uh, in a way, Sontini had a positive effect because by lasting only a few matches, he gave the opportunity to Martin Yol, who kick started everything that is good about the modern era the uh, for Spurs. So I'm going to give Sontini an assist for that. Very good. Um, Very good. <laughs> But no, focusing on the players. We we've had some good players and some bad players from France. We we obviously had Sissoko who is much derided by the majority of Spurs fans, myself included. I think the majority of his time with us wasn't very good, except for that Champions League run to the final where he was filling in for Dembele admirably and actually driving us forward. Actually played the punt upfield, which was Fully intended for Laurent's head, which led to Lucas <laughs> Mora equalizing. So I, I think Sissoko deserves a bit of cult hero status, even if he wasn't the best player. There was a um, little fella that we got from Fulham called Steed Maulbronk, who couldn't quite decide if he was French or he was Belgian, but he was French while he was with us. So
0: we'll get uh, on to Belgium as well. So.
2: Yeah, Belgian has a much uh, different kind of impact on us. But he, he was a lovely footballer to watch. He was uh, instrumental in our only recent trophy in 2008. And I think that's got to count for something in this debate. He, he was a, a good passer, a good technical player and a real fighter. But the two very obvious French players to commit my argument to are David Ginola and Hugo Lloris. Hugo Lloris is by far our best goalkeeper in the Premier League era. There's an argument to say he's been our best captain. He's gone through a bit of adversity, obviously. He got his DUI a few years ago, straight after winning the World Cup. He thankfully didn't cause any harm that evening, other than to his own reputation. Can we we blame French
0: wine for that? that take away from Francis case.
2: <laughs> well, I, I don't know that it was French wine, but he was out with uh, Giroud that night. <laughs> so there's a good chance. But he came back admirably from that. Mm. And that's something to say. How many World Cup winning captains have played for Spurs? And the answer is probably one. And that answer is probably hugo Lloris, was um captain? so no he wasn't i don't believe he no. was no I, I don't know who was argentina captain i know their main player back then was mario kempes but um mm. but hugo Loris is a world cup winning captain who has also been with us for this is his 10th year this is his testimonial year so i think yeah. you absolutely have to consider him one of our greatest ever players big respect to him The other one, David Ginola. Everyone knows my feelings on him. I absolutely idolise him. I absolutely worship him. I think he made the second half of the 90s worth going to Spurs when we had a team that would have otherwise been relegated. But for Ginola, Spurs may have gone down into the league below and we were in a bad way at that Mm. time. This was pre-Enoch. This was pre-financial stability. This was... We were a bit of a joke at that point, to tell you the truth. Uh, We were routinely finishing sort of 11th, 12th, 13th in the league Janal's first season we actually finished 14th but we were fighting relegational season and what he did for us other than keeping us in the league in terms of entertainment value and in terms of making sure that a generation of fans who didn't see the trophies that the previous generation had seen still wanted to follow Spurs and support Spurs is immeasurable it was the pure joy He's, he was one of the last great entertainers in this league who literally played for no other reason than to entertain the supporters
0: he also won double player of the year for a team that finished 11th in the league while Man United did the treble. It's almost like the anti-Asu Okoto, isn't it? Because yeah. <laughs> he played for the love of the game and nothing else. I'm sure he was paid exactly. nicely. Exactly, so, you know.
2: so when you've got a guy that did that, when he scored some of the best goals we've ever seen and you can honestly holds up as just as good as players who have scored far more than him out on the left wing like Bale and Son, I think that says everything about how good he was and how big the French impact has been on Spurs, so there's my argument there. Yes, the Argentinians spread over a period of time did have a great impact on us, but with Lloris and with Giannala, we had two players who you could legitimately call the best at what they were doing in the league at their time with the club.
0: I guess you've got to ask the question the best way to look at it is where would we be without this nation or these players or these managers? And like you said, if Janela if hadn't been in that team, I don't know if we would have had somebody of that calibre to hold us up. And we may well have gone we down. Have where would elite. we be now? Where would Well, I mean, it could have been a long time ago. Dave looks unhappy with I've that comment. I've just lost this. There was, there was definitely a bit of a semi-nibble there. But yeah, where would we be? That's, that's the question. Look, I'm going to throw a spanner in the works on, on France. And Dave, I'm curious to hear if you will recognise this line of arguing. But if we take it one step further out and we look at France and what they've done for Spurs, do we need to look at what they've done for Arsenal? Because let's be honest, France is the best thing that's happened to Arsenal in recent times. Arsene Wenger, I mean, he is pivotal for English football, but Arsene Wenger, and then obviously the flurry of French players that came in with Henri, the Vieira, the Petit, the Pires. I mean, Arsenal became the best team in the country by a mile when we were terrible because of France. Is that a factor that we need to consider, or is that irrelevant? I mean, what do you think? Joe, would you make that argument? Would you say that France helping Arsenal so much takes away from their case?
3: More biased umpiring. I, I think I think it's right. I think <laughs> Dave Dave will probably almost certainly agree with that statement. That I feel like Dave
0: will like that line of reasoning. Yeah, I think France. Yeah. everything. this is a Spurs a...
1: podcast. This isn't an Arsenal podcast.
2: Thank you.
0: You're right. Judge yourself we're, by yourself. We're a not big by team. We're a big team. We don't want to care, yeah, exactly. care about Arsenal.
1: Yeah, exactly. Just stop, stop beating yourselves up. Oh, oh, oh we're gonna do as Arsenal. Arsenal beat oh.
2: <laughs> It's like when you do something wrong in school and the teacher berates you and you're like well Joe did it and so what if Joe did it I'm not talking about Joe I'm talking about you Elio why did you do that
1: it's almost that exactly, exactly the same too? as that yeah fine
0: well look, I'm just playing devil's advocate here okay these opinions not necessarily reflect my own let's talk about some other nations so we mentioned Belgium let's get into Belgium because I mean the obvious starting point is that centre-back pairing of Odovara of and, and Vertonghen who were part of what was the best defence in the league for a while, and obviously coincided with Poch How important were they? How can you measure how important they were? Because that's the way you got to look at it. Where would we be without them? I mean, we probably have
2: trotted along with Dawson coming towards the end of his career, and Kabul, who could only manage about six games a season before his knees went for a few years, and Poch would have been sacked. Um mm. They're an exceptional centre-back pairing. They Neither of them had any pace, and yet nobody ever got behind them, despite the fact that they played the highest line in the league. And that just shows how well they read the game, how organised they were, and how good a relationship they had with each other. But you also have to look at the fact that when they were at their best, they didn't have that much defending to do, because of another Belgian right in front of them in Moussa Dembele, yeah. who was a one-man midfield by himself. We we played a double pivot, him in Dier or him in Wanyama. And it was like we had a three-man midfield because of how how well-rounded Dembele was. And I think the attack and the defence loved him for it. Small shout out to Chadley for Pochettino's first season as well. He scored mm-hmm. a lot of goals. He made a lot of goals and he was fun to watch too. Going back
0: to Dembele, I really want to talk about Dembele because maybe I'm alone on this, but when people ask me about underrated players in football and I really want to get Dave's opinion on this, I think Moussa Dembele is arguably the most underrated player of a generation in the Premier League, not just for Spurs, in the Premier League, because he's not the match of the day player. He's not somebody who has his own highlight reel. The things that he did were impressive in their own way, but they weren't goals, they weren't assists. He was just brilliant at being an all-round midfielder and doing that stuff that led ultimately to performances and goals, in my opinion. And I know that's the opinion that's shared with a lot of Spurs fans. Dave, please talk to me about Moussa Dembele and tell me what your honest opinion is on him
1: you're going to be delighted about my honest opinion because Good. I had a season ticket at Fulham uh-huh. when Dembele was, um, uh, was at Fulham. I lived about 60 yards away. It was quite frankly rude not to have a season ticket at Fulham, hmm. how close I was. And um, I thought he was absolutely magical. I couldn't understand how he didn't lose the ball. It was almost yep. like it was glued to his foot. And he was so powerful, but he had such a low centre of gravity and he was so swift that he could get the ball and he could turn and he could distribute the ball at the same time, even though he had three men around him. It was quite impress. It was so impressive watching him. And and I have absolutely nothing negative to say about Moussa Dembele. I just thought he was... He was, As soon as he, played, as, as he came and started playing for Fulham, I was like, well, he's not going to be with Fulham very long. He's far no. too good for this team. Because he just... He, he had the ability to get the ball, play through the adversity and pass and play through the line and then give the ball out. And, you know, he was fortunate he was playing with a couple of pretty decent players as well at Fulham and, and they managed to, you know, make quite a good run for it um, between them. But but yeah, it didn't surprise me at all when he moved to Spurs because he was just he was just better.
0: Yeah, obviously without the same kind of attacking flair, but there were shades of Zinedine Zidane in the way he just shrugged off tackles and just held on the ball to in the tightest now. of spaces. Well, come on, hear <laughs> me out here. I said without the attacking flair, Elio, talk to me about Mr. Dembélé.
2: I mean, I would have gone for Yaya Toure without the goals instead of Zidane. I think. Can I can I change it to that can, comparison? you Can, can we change cut it back to, to, to that? Yeah. Um I think. That's the one issue with him, though. For all his ability, even as a central midfielder in a generation where central midfielders don't really score goals, once again, it's not the 90s anymore, he should have scored more than he did. Because when he did shoot, it was good. I was there in Lyon behind the goal that he sort of hit a last-minute equaliser and to take us through to the quarterfinals of, uh, I don't know if it was UEFA or Europa at the time, but the quarterfinals of that competition, and it was magical. So he could hit a good shot. And I almost feel like there was a lack of self belief with him in that respect because he was so good at the humble role. He was so good at making other players look good. Ericsson was never the same after Dembele left. Deli was never the same after Dembele left. Wanyama and Dyer and Sandro, all their best midfield partners, were Musa Dembele. And he did so much. For other players. Sometimes you wanted him to have a little bit more selfish to his game. Because I mean apart from the fact that I personally think he could have dribbled through an entire team and scored should he have wanted. So he's anyway, Yeah. (laughs) You've got a guy that used to get into those positions sort of about 20 yards out. And there would be a shot on but he'd still always elect to make the pass. And that's the only criticism I have on him. Doesn't take away massively from him fabulous player and if you had to say what's the best Spurs midfields I could make in a sort of dream Premier League 11 or something like that it would probably be him and Modric but I do wish he'd scored a few more goals for
0: all his ability we'd take him in our team now that's for sure it's, <laughs> yeah uh, absolutely it's him into, or yeah, yeah. It's, it's turned into the Moussa Dembello show which I absolutely love I don't have a problem with that for a second Joe how much do we owe Brazil thanks to the efforts of a certain Lucas Moura in a certain Champions League semi-final. I know, I know we didn't win the final, okay, before everyone jumps on, on my back. But what does that mean to Spurs? Well, I mean, we wouldn't even have a jingle for this show if it wasn't for <laughs> Lucas' Exactly. So, uh, Vital. Yeah, Face closed. Brazil's a funny one. I had to look
3: up Brazil. But yeah, you're right. We, we have got a handful of good names there. I mean, I'm just go through the list now, like Aurelio <laughs> Gomez, I thought he good came keeper. pretty good for us at one point for all the um, you know for the stick that he got during a, an interesting little period for us. You think Paulinho was at a point where we were starting to again like make these big signings in the 2010s, and mm. you felt like we were starting that was to the bail really, money, yeah, exactly. And you thought, well, wow, yeah. we can actually go out and buy these players that you know the, the big clubs on the continent are going after, and you know, it yeah. bit, maybe it wasn't the right way for us. Um, what about but, I mean, Sandro? So, well, he was Andrew. a head of player. Yes. For a, but, for a uh,
0: time, he was a monster.
3: And I would say that he went somewhat under the radar because when, when he signed with us, I wouldn't say... I mean, I, I didn't know much about him when he signed. I, I don't remember him being, like, a headliner, you know, that everybody was trying to sign, uh, that everybody knew. I wouldn't say it was a household name, necessarily. Yeah, surprisingly strong link to Brazil, I guess. Not one that you necessarily think of straight away. So, yeah, an <laughs> interesting link. But, I mean, Lucas Moore, I mean... I, Yeah, that that hat trick, this is just a good chance to reminisce, but I mean, that that hat trick against Ajax was the most extraordinary thing I've ever seen, I think, in football, let alone Mm. as a Spurs fan. I mean, I was shaking for half an hour after that game.
0: Yeah, I mean, non Spurs fans are going to say that he didn't win anything, but ultimately, it comes down to whether you value memories and moments over. Mm figures and stats and ultimately you ask any Spurs fan what are the greatest moments of supporting Spurs in your life and that's one of them you know that was like a final that that was one of those moments you never forget and we owe it to him shame he didn't make the final though mm. that's that's a conversation <laughs> I was watching for Alone time. in my
2: living room when I went upstairs about 45 minutes later Lizzie was like god how badly did you lose for you to be screaming that much because <laughs> of my reaction when Lucas's shots crossed the line it was um it was something else. I, I couldn't really speak for a few days after that.
0: And... <laughs> Would we have needed the bleeper for your response?
2: <laughs> oh, uh, I, I, no doubt. Yeah. And I think you mentioned a couple of players there, Joe, that that absolutely deserve to be thought of highly by us. Sandro, absolutely one of them until his injury sets. And it's always the way with us. We get one good year out of these central midfielders and then their legs go for whatever reason. He had a bad injury, but he was so, so good, so mm. aggressive and such a all-action midfielder. Absolutely loved watching him. And, and in goal, Gomez integral in us getting into the Champions League for the first time mm. uh, had such a good season that year and yeah the guy made a lot of mistakes but he also stopped a hell of a lot of things with his reflexes that other goalkeepers could only dream of and his bravery off his line for all the embarrassment it caused sometimes it, it, it's a bit like I said about Romero earlier it killed attacks yeah. before they were attacks so so I, I could take the bad with the good with Gomez quite happily my only real criticism of him was that he was a bit of a wimp for a goalkeeper more than one occasion he went down from a challenge with a sort of big burly center forward like Neymar and and goal. Looked... Yeah, <laughs> basically he looked like he was going to cry sometimes and <laughs> and you don't really want that from your keeper but yeah. uh, but no he th- those were some very good players unfortunately though if we're talking about brazilians it's all undone by um Probably. gilberto silva oh. the world cup winning brazil left back <laughs> and um, probably the worst debut I've ever seen from any Spurs player. I don't really want to go into it, but, uh,
0: but yeah, yeah. You're saying that debut was so bad good. it undoes Lucas Mora's hat-trick in the Champions League <laughs> semi-final, because that's very harsh. <laughs> anyway, it, um, it was, th- think Jonathan Woodgate-Real
2: Madrid debut oh, wow. levels of bad. Oh, wow.
1: What is it about Brazilian World Cup-winning debuts? In Leeds chat, it's always <laughs> Rocker Jr., and his <laughs> debut for us, which is just like, oh, what? And another what, very what un just Brazilian happened? Brazilian. Yeah, true. Yeah.
2: This um, is how bad his debut was. If memory serves, he was replaced at half time by Jamie O'Hara.
0: I'd retire. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, he just wasn't right for, well, football. With hindsight, but definitely not for us.
0: Brilliant. I'm conscious we're eating into a fair amount of time with this one, so I want to keep things snappy and moving along a little bit, but I just want to put you on the spot here, Eddie, and give you a quick challenge. I'm going to name two nations that I think have had a pretty significant effect on us. Both have had three players at Spurs, and I want you to tell me which one you think has been the bigger influence. One is Croatia, Troluka, Cranshaw, and Modric. The other is mm. Denmark. Eriksson, Hoiberg, and Alan Nielsen, scorer in the cup final, of course. Which one of those would you say has had a bigger impact? Only one of them scored a winning goal in a cup final, of course.
2: And that's part of the reason why I'll go for Denmark. I think the other reason is Trolluca was very good. He was exceptional actually, but he he did lose his place after a couple of years to the emerging Carl Walker. And Cranchar apart from some wonderful moments in his first season, never quite built on his potential with us, where whereas those other three players were all Key players in the Spurs team they played in for uh, the the three Danes. Modric is the best player out of all of those, but Ericsson for, and Modric was with us four years, Ericsson was with us seven, I think, Mm. in the end, and he was. Phenomenal for six of those, and basically when he wasn't interested anymore his final half season, that's when it all fell apart. Alan Nielsen did score a winning goal in a cup final, and for a few years, even though he was a limited player, was probably our best central midfielder. Bear in mind we had a knackered Stefan Freund, a knackered Tim Sherwood, and a knackered Nicola Bertie competing with him at that time. But yeah. um, he, he, he was a, a good player and a, a good all-round player. And then and then you've got Hojbjerg and everything he's doing at the moment. I said last week he's our best midfielder. I said it's not necessarily a good thing that he is, but mm. he's a key player in this team. So I think you got to say the Danes had a bigger impact.
0: Yeah, I think it's fair to say with Nicola Berti, we're not going to include Italy in this chat. And I think I mentioned before <laughs> that Italy <laughs> arguably has had the, the worst impact on Spurs because we can blame Lasagna Gate on them. So <laughs> we'll move well, from that. Quite. Uh, Joe, talk to me about the Netherlands. We've had some big players from there. And of course, Martin Yol, we had to credit for that, which is, he was, he was a big deal for us. He was had a big impact on Spurs. Oh, yeah,
3: definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, and I've met Martin Yol, uh, you know. Oh, really? Yeah, that was, that was from my, my anecdote about working. That, that's got to give him points. Yeah, working at White Hart Lane as a skivvy. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, was that in the 4-4 way.
0: game? Sorry, the 5-4 game. The
3: 5-4, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. That. Oh, amazing. Yeah, it was well it was funny. I, I shook his hand and uh, this little kid came up to him with a, a like pen and paper and he said, Excuse me Martin, is Frank Arneson coming out? And like didn't actually ask for his photograph. <laughs> I, I was I was impressed the kid was like interested in meeting the Sports
2: and directors, so Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was all the rage. Frank Arneson <laughs> another dame.
0: Oh yeah, there we go, yeah. So obviously Edgar Davids, who wasn't quite in his prime but came to us, that was quite a coup at the time, wasn't it? We were getting this you know, legend of the game in football coming to Spurs, it seemed like quite a big deal. Yeah,
3: and, and I remember, um, Elio, you, you were explaining to me that Edgar Davids was a, was a huge fan of Spurs because of the history of the club and, and that mm-hmm. there were players like that that, okay, they were kind of getting to the end of their career but they wanted to come come and play for Spurs because of our history and I thought it was quite interesting because I didn't remember Spurs winning an awful lot growing up. So,
2: Well, David, Burke and that generation of Dutch players, they grew up sort of in the 80s. They were all sort of a good decade older than us. And that was when Spurs were probably the team playing the closest thing to what Dutch football looked like. Because we hmm. had players like Hoddle and Waddle and obviously our dealers in Villa and players like that at the time and Gazza at the end as well so we were the total football of England in the 80s mm-hmm. so Still players at, from Holland grew up loving us I mean Burkamp has often said that uh, growing up he used to watch us because he, he idolised Glenn Hoddle and lo and behold he ended up at Arsenal mm-hmm.
0: Obviously Vincent Janssen, Willem Corsten, Hans Segers, Michel Vorm, Stephen Bergwijn of course but the one that stands out here for me is Rafa van, van der Vaart what a player yeah. he was we'd I, love I him right now wouldn't we?
3: I absolutely loved him when he played for Spurs, and I and I really liked it. You know, he was one of the, He's another great example of a player that was at Real Madrid, was at an elite club, and it for what it, you know. I mean, it's Real Madrid, so just God knows what can happen when, when any player goes there in terms of things not working out. <laughs> but I, I couldn't believe we got yeah, even Kaká was yeah. Yeah. and I feel like it wouldn't
0: I'm, be fair to move on without mentioning the Republic of Ireland as well, because obviously, as you'd expect, we've had a fair few players from there. Uh, some standouts, obviously, Stephen Carr, Robbie Keane, of course. Dave, I'm sure you can talk about him as well. Um, so, you know, those, those two in particular, I said quite a few, and then I actually started reading the list and I was distinctly less impressed as it went on. <laughs> completely honest. Super still, Andy completely I mean, well, I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, certainly, uh, Robbie Keane alone is worth a mention before yeah. I go to you for a decision, Dave, I just want to say that in my personal opinion, the winner has to be Cameroon because Ben Asuokoso is an absolute cult hero. And I think he, <laughs> he should single-handedly tip it in their balance, but you've been listening along. You've, you've been forming your own opinions. I mean, I kind of want to give you a. I kind of want to ask you for a top three, but uh, what are your thoughts having heard all that?
1: Well, I've been making notes Good. and I've been giving scores out of 10 for every player that we've been talking about because I'm taking this oh, wow. seriously, Dex. Um yeah, But I what I it. did want to want to touch on is the lesser known, or not that, the lesser known, uh, one hit wonders of the nation. Mm. So I thought we'd give a bit of a shout out to those guys. Now, uh, this isn't challenge earlier, so challenge everybody and shout out as you, as you want. So let's start with a, a couple of the more negatives. Let's start with Canada's finest.
2: Paul Stalteri. Paul Stalteri.
1: He was really good, wasn't he? Mm. Um, he was an
2: awful player, but he did score the winner in the 4-3 against West Ham after they'd been leading so us what the It What was about moments? There you go. A
1: broken watch is right twice a day earlier.
0: <laughs>
1: Gregor yeah. Raziak. As Holden's uh, finest, in. no defence for that guy. We've got some good mm-hmm. ones here, though. I mean, um, Russia, that's a pretty straightforward one. Pavlyuchenko.
0: Super
2: Pav wasn't a bad player. He was just a poacher in a team that didn't get the ball into the box. i tell you something, Indeed, Indeed. look up a
0: YouTube reel of all of Pavlyuchenko's goals for Spurs and you'll think he's like Lionel Messi. Yeah, you
1: can do that with Matty Taylor, mate.
0: No, honestly, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> it makes you think, how do we ever let him go? Romania is worth a shout. I mean, let's not talk about Kirikesh, but Dimitrescu and Popescu back in the day, that was a nice yeah, little... Double, uh, double whammy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Both very good players. I've got some
1: great ones here. Is that Mar- Marley's striker, that's that's easy. Is that Canute? Freddy Canute, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, Montserrat, I didn't realise he was was from Royal Montserrat. Fox. Real Fox, exactly. <laughs> well done, well done, Dags. Challenge is Dags, is why Dags why next week. This
0: is why I don't do the challenges, because I know too uh, much. I'm a embarrassed a
1: beautiful, year. smooth bottle of Israel's finest.
0: Ronnie Rosenthal,
1: arguably, arguably the only thing that made me know who Tottenham was <laughs> uh, until about 2003. Uh, That's but me, I we'll think the whole best
0: feature on Ronnie Rosenthal,
1: absolutely. But I think the best one-hit wonder is probably Bulgaria's Dimitar Berbatov. Oh, yeah.
0: absolutely. What a wonderful
1: though. player. So, so yeah, uh, shout out to the one-hit wonders. But basically, I've been marking everybody out of ten. And then getting an average because then that's fair. But I think. Very scientific. I like it. I'm also factoring in the the sheer volume. So I think the top two has to be Argentina and France. Mm. But I think the winner is France.
0: Really? Yeah, I think the winner is
1: France. It is based on the scoring that I've given, but also the fact that I think Elio makes a very, very good point in the sense that Ginlar is the only person I give a 10 based on Elio's excellent, heartfelt plea.
0: That's why you're on the podcast, Dave.
1: And Hugo Lloris uh, agreed. I don't think there was anybody finer for a fair few seasons. So, yeah, I give the points to, uh, to France. Well done, France.
2: I- I've got to say, this is making me smile right now. This has made me happier than any challenge Elliot win that <laughs> I've had so far.
1: Yeah, I can't, I can't get over Fazio and Foyt and, and Gazanigo and Lamella to an extent. I mean, there's some low scores. I'm not going to lie to you guys in, in Argentina.
0: <laughs> I really hope Fazio and Foyd aren't sitting around listening to our podcast, thinking that they've just undone the legacy of Ozzy Delelis, and Ricky Villa. See, I feel I, feel, I
1: feel, I feel for Jamie O'Hara, who probably is listening to this because he's a sad little man. <laughs>
0: wow, we've,
3: um, how many Argentinian listeners do we have?
0: You know what? I don't believe we've had a single listener from Argentina, and I'm not sure this is going to change oh. things. I played, I played, I played the,
1: uh, I played the podcast stats. <laughs>
0: Well, if you, if you are following us on Twitter and Instagram, you might have seen that I put together a, an eleven. I put together a Spurs team made up of countries or players from countries from which we've had listeners, which was, which was quite interesting to have a look at that. So hopefully that will develop over time as we go on. Speaking of which, if you have any comments on, on that discussion, if you would like to make a case for any country we perhaps haven't mentioned or you disagree with Dave or you disagree with, with any of us, please get in touch at Plus Dave Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram or email us at PlusDavePodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear any outside-the-box rogue suggestions. Anything just really tenuous, like a kind of sliding doors butterfly effect scenario where if one particular player hadn't shown up, it would have all gone very differently. We'd love to hear some conspiracy theories like that. Moving on to Challenge Elio then, and we, we touched on that. It's time for what you've all been waiting for. Time to make Elio look very, very silly or very, very clever. We've got a few questions here. And if you're new to the podcast or new to Challenge Elio, the way this works is... We put some questions to Elio, or I put some questions to Elio. Um, If he knows the answers, he gets the points. If he doesn't, it comes back out to the floor. And in this case, Dave and Joe will have a chance to sweep up and collect the points. I did promise last week that I'd go back through all the last few episodes and count up how many points Elio actually has, which I have not done. So at this point, we are fairly confident he is winning, but we don't know to what extent he is winning. So tune in next week when I will hopefully have had the chance to collect all the points (laughs) up. And I can tell you... And give Elio a big head and tell him quite how far ahead he is. But with a bit of luck, Joe and Dave are going to eat into that today. And we're going to go into the first question. And it relates to our European game midweek, actually. Harry Kane, as you will know, came off the bench to score a hat-trick in the game against Mirror, which was the first time a Spurs player has done that in quite some time. Elio, can you tell me the last Spurs player to have scored a hat-trick off the bench? Say what, I'll tell you, it was in the FA Cup, that's what I'll tell you
2: off the bench to score a hat-trick in the FA Cup.
0: Dave's got his hand up. Dave thinks he knows.
2: Dave thinks he knows, and I'm, I'm completely stumped. Um, can you just give me a broad...
0: I'm going to give you a broad clue. You, don't give me the year, just give me no, no, like, the... Come on, if, I, if I, I
1: think I know and I'm not a Spurs you fan, you I can't actually, give me a clue. I
0: really want to see if Dave does know this. I'm going to hand it over to Dave. Eddie's going to complain about the... Uh... Let me have a guess before you okay, hand okay. it over. Let I'm just going
2: to take a complete, complete, complete stab guess. in the dark... Complete stab in the dark. and go like 20 for, points, by the way. I'm going to go for Robbie
0: Keane. It was not Robbie Keane. Dave. No. Was it against Southampton? It was against Southampton.
2: Oh, no. <laughs> was it, oh, no, was no, it, no. it Israel's finest? It was Israel's finest. <laughs> Ronnie rocket, Rosenthal.
0: The rocket, Ronnie Rosenthal. Which I think I think Israel suddenly propelled. Have I won Challangelio? Is that, is that Dave? <laughs> <laughs> Next week, there's no more Challangelio. That is it. Challangelio is finished. <laughs> I, re- I refuse to play this game again. <laughs> you got beaten by Ronnie Rosenthal and Dave in a single moment. Outstanding. Wow, outstanding. Shame. I-, I can redeem this, but there's more questions. My heart kind of sunk when he was mentioned earlier. I was like, oh no, it's fresh in everyone's mind. It's, it's like Spurs yesterday. I've conceded a goal.
2: Now I need to bounce back.
0: <laughs> well, look, the next question, maybe you will have had a look. It's, uh, it's also related to, to Harry Kane's hat trick. And my question is, since the Premier League begun, Which Spurs player scored our fastest ever Premier League hat-trick?
2: Are we talking in terms of near the beginning of the match or just from first first goal goal to to third third goal? goal? Jürgen Klinsmann in the 97-98 season, he scored three goals within five minutes. I don't know if it was his second, third and fourth or if it's his first, second and third, but he got three goals in absolutely no time.
0: See, now I have a bit of an issue because I believe my criteria is incorrect. My source material has a different answer to that. So you may well be right, Elio. Not for the first time. Can the I guess your time. answer,
1: Dags, just to, just to really you annoy what. Elio? I'll
0: tell you what. If you get it right, we'll, we'll void this question. And I've actually got a tiebreaker question as a backup on this, on this actual point. So go on, Dave. If you think you know. I, d- I don't. It would be a guess. It's a guess. Well, I would you know guess. You meant so, in which game? I don't know. Game, yeah. wait
2: Germain Defoe against Wigan yeah mean? yeah that one yeah sure that's sure.
0: that's what the statistics I have tell me was the quickest Spurs hat-trick and maybe that's from the beginning of the game I know it was in the first half because he scored what four or five in the first half Elio's suddenly very angry and he's holding how, it in how qui- so I've looked it up now the Klinsman
2: one <laughs> his first goal was in the 41st minute okay but he scored his second, third, and fourth in the 54th, 58th, and 60th. Okay. That's so it's three not... goals in six minutes.
0: Well, Jermaine Defoe was seven minutes, according to my stats. Okay. You know what? So the fastest three goals were Jürgen Klinsmann. Interestingly, I mean he didn't say the
1: fastest three goals. So that's interesting, isn't it? Well, I'm not sure what I that
2: said. That is the fastest honest. hat-trick, though. A hat-trick is three goals.
0: <laughs> okay. Doesn't not when, when you've already scored one. Three. I'll tell you what. They've got it right. Elio got screwed over. So as a tiebreaker, I'm going to ask you this. Oh. Tie- oh. Tiebreaker. I think it's fair, Dave. I, but I've got two. Right. You were both right. Uh, you were both right. You were both right. So the question is: What is the fastest, not Spurs, just the fastest hat trick in Premier League history? Robbie Fowler, Liverpool Robbie against Fowler. Arsenal. That's second, I believe. But good, good effort. I was about to say Robbie Fowler. To be honest, Joe, do you have any ideas? No, it's just to steal it. Of, the team, Joe and Dave. Just, just lots of strikers. Like a Paul
1: Stalteri. <laughs>
0: no. <laughs> yes,
2: no. Uh, it was not. I, I think it might have been someone recently. Actually, it who, was 2015 who scored... was
0: the year, and it was against.
2: And it wasn't. F- it wasn't for Liverpool.
0: It was for Southampton, wasn't That's it? Right. it was Saudi Mane It was indeed three minute havoc yeah. against Villa in 2015, which is outrageous. Yeah, Saudi Mane very good idea. You redeemed the points, and uh, I feel good about that because you probably did deserve them. Move on. To I mean, him. I think you give Dave the win on the basis that he got two
2: right and I got one wrong. And I don't support two, Spurs. Two, two, <laughs> up for Dave. Okay. But your second question was a farce. That's two weeks Not in a row now, time. I need to step this up.
0: Okay, well, at least I still did more Every week than there's one that's wrong. <laughs> okay, moving on to the third question. And this one's going to be a little bit longer. This is one where I'm going to give you a number of players to list. Can you name the 12 players in the Premier League era, and I'm hoping that this data is correct, who have played for both Tottenham and Aston Villa?
2: Twelve players, Same rules as always.
0: Keep going better. until you get one wrong and then it passes over.
2: Okay. And there's a point for each.
0: Um Robbie
2: Keane went on loan to them at the end of his career, so I'm guessing. David and Love. Of obviously. course. yeah. Do they have to have played for Villa in the Premier League or could they have played for Villa in the championship as well? Do you really think I know that? Based on <laughs> well, we based <laughs> on
0: my prep from the last
2: question. We loaned Carl Walker to Kyle them. Walker's so correct. if he's Oh well Kyle Walker's is correct, correct. Oh, okay. So that's three. Do we have to wait um, for
1: Elliot to get one wrong. Yeah,
0: cool. yeah. or he'll get angry. Um,
2: I will at some point. Don't get angry. Um,
0: he'll run out of time, or he'll get one wrong.
2: Darren Bent, correct. How much time did you give me?
0: I don't know. Mm. Till I get bored. Ah.
2: <laughs> Fair enough. Too long. Till there's dead um, space.
0: So you've got four, eight to go.
2: Do they have to? Hmm.
0: Elio, I'm getting bored. All right.
2: Who have I said? Keane Keen, um, Walker, and Bent. Bent and Walker.
0: I'm going to have to rush you. I
2: feel like there's a load of obvious ones. Dave's just I written understand. down about six names. Has he?
0: All right, I'm going to move it on. Joe, Dave, throw me some names.
3: I've got one. Go on. Uh, Peace Crouch. Correct. That's the one I hey. had. And I'm really struggling after that. Mm. Um, Villa's, Villa's a weird one. Yeah, I feel yeah. Um, I'm really blanking now. Not that I'm particularly good on these generally, to be honest with you, but.
1: Did Sherwood um, play for them or did he just manage them?
2: I think he just managed them. Sherwood's not on the list. Sherwood's ended up in the Midlands at Coventry. Right? Uh, I'll throw it back to
0: Elio. No, no, throw back Sherwood. to Sherwood, Sherwood's not on the list. Elio, you're back in the game. <laughs>
2: I, don't, I don't think that's going to do me many favours.
0: Um, so there is a goalkeeper on the list. Big easy clue. Oh, yeah. I've, I've got, got the goal.
2: There's a goalie on the list.
0: Mm, it's quite obvious.
2: Friedel. Yep. Friedel.
0: I had tossed that. Oh, really? (laughs) Give us some positions. (laughs) Couple of defenders. Right back, centre back. Not particularly good, either of them. (laughs) Stephen Kelly? No. Wrong. Back to you guys. I'll throw out some nationalities. Couple of Scots on the list. Uh, I know one of them. Joe, you got any inkling? Um, So we have one, two, three, four, five, six left. Six, Some man. of them are scraping the barrel a little bit, yeah. A couple of Scots. One of the Scots played a lot for us.
1: Based on the only Scot I can think of that ever played for Spurs, <laughs> did Gordon Jury also play for Villa? No, it's not for <laughs>
0: More recently than that. Well, one of them's not far off that. But... but Colin Calderwood did. He did, correct. Good effort from Elio. He's pulling further ahead now. I'm trying to think what other Scots
2: we've had. We haven't had that many.
0: There's one who got a little bit of a slating in one of our previous episodes talking about an Arsenal game. Socks went in on him pretty hard. Right back. Like, that's unlike Sox. Alan Hutton. Yes. Uh, God. I'm not passing it back and forth now. It's a free-for-all at this point. Just shout names out. One of them probably told Joe what to say on this podcast when he was watching Match of the Day. Jermaine Genus? Jermaine Genus is correct, yeah. Oh. He played for Villa. Yeah. No idea when. Yeah. I mean, assuming, assuming I haven't just fudged the data here. no
2: I I think you're probably right I'm just trying to trying to think because we've never really signed anyone from them that was like a big signing either are we talking just Premier League or are we talking all time Premier League
0: otherwise um, there's a famous one from the 60s oh I
2: know who um he went to Charlton from us and then he went to Villa Luke Young correct very good wasn't
0: sure we were going to get That's that a one good one
2: he's a decent player
0: Dave J, you can shout names out. You're, I'm not waiting for it to jump back over now. It's gone on far too long already. You need a clue? Uh, Norwegian. Leonardin. Correct. I
2: wanted to say him earlier, but. Best Spurs fan here. Right. I think hmm. we've only got
0: one left.
3: You've had a very good challenge, Elio, Dave. <laughs> you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, that's man.
2: Pilot of his weekend.
0: Mm. We have one left in on the list, which is uh, relatively. Give us a position. Relatively obscure. He came to us from Crystal Palace, then went on loan to Portsmouth and Fulham, Dave, if that helps. Then he played... <laughs> okay. Then he played a grand sum of two games for Aston Villa.
2: <laughs> it counts. It counts. He came to us from Crystal from Palace, Palace yes. and went on loan He played for Spurs from 2005
0: and to 2008 and has five appearances for Spurs. This really is scraping the barrel, but it's on the list. So hang on. He's had seven appearances for the two clubs... Yeah, <laughs> thanks for doing that maths for me yeah I didn't do the background check on every one of these what's his position okay let's see oh I, I couldn't even tell you I think he was a, a midfielder winger according to Wikipedia um, oh, you'll know the name for sure you'll know the name he wasn't exactly uh Kantus from Crystal oh um... you got it
2: who did we get from Crystal Palace? Wayne Routledge. <laughs> Wayne Routledge is us. Oh,
0: Very good. Wow, good, well done. Very good. Thank I'm God that. I'm going he he played more than he was at
2: he... No, he got injured straight away. Aaron Lennon came into the team, and the rest right. is history.
3: It feels like Wayne Routledge was at Spurs for ages. I was
0: thinking he was, about. but he
2: never
3: played. Just always injured. Yeah.
0: There we go. There we go. Another very good week for Elliot and a very good week for Dave, it must be said. Very well done, Dave. Dave. You've, yeah, had yeah, a, you've had a good week all round, actually. I feel like Spurs winning agrees with you. Long may it continue. Exactly. Long may it continue. Fantastic. Well,
2: three goals were still faster than the first. <laughs> for the second but not week hat-trick, running, sir, Elliot feels very
0: aggrieved by... Three goals is a hat-trick. Definition not when, when hat-trick it's two, three and four, Elliot. Really. <laughs> Save something for next week, guys. Well, look, to everyone who is still listening through this car crash of a podcast, I uh, thank you. And uh, of course, hope you tune in. We'll probably do an episode next week. Of course, there's no football next week or no no Spurs football next week, but we'll, we'll probably find something to talk about, even if it's just arguing about Klinsman's hat trick for an hour. <laughs> we'll get onto that. Of course, we will be returning with some more challenge in the near future thank you all for listening of course please get in touch via social media at plus day podcast on both twitter and instagram and email us at plusdaypodcasts at gmail.com join our fpl league at jb3psv and if you have any thoughts on anything we discussed, if you have any suggestions for something we could fill the time with next week, perhaps any ideas for just a general discussion along the lines of what we discussed today, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you all around the world, especially, you know, if you're from Argentina or France or Belgium or any of the countries we mentioned, we'd love to get our first Argentinian listener. So if that's you, please let us know. Let us know who you are, who your favourite players are. Thank you guys for joining me once again. Been a great show. But from all of us here, thanks everyone for listening. Stay classy, Spurs fans, and we'll see you again soon. <laughs> Thank you.